Turn to Matthew chapter 7, please, if you have a copy of your scriptures, or if you don't, we have pew Bibles there, and I believe you can find the passage on page 812, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 will be our passage of study this morning, continuing through the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus means about kingdom living. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of our Savior, who means to teach us, to, to disciple us, to comfort us, to help us in kingdom living. And so we pray, Lord, now that you would send your Holy Spirit to teach us, to comfort us, to guide us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Those are the words from our Lord Jesus here in this passage. This description of the lavish love and goodness of God the Father reminds me of a story we find in the Old Testament about King Solomon. In this story, in 1 Kings chapter 3, we find King Solomon about to take up the throne as the king, as the ruler of Israel after his father David. And so I want to read to you an account from this story in 1 Kings 3 about Solomon. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David my father. And although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? 
It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. The story, again, serves as an illustration to our passage before us because the key to this story and the key to our passage before us is that God our Father can do and will do far greater than we can ask or imagine. Yahweh gave Solomon more. Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for discernment. God gave him more. He gave him honor and riches. And God our Father gives us good gifts. He lavishes us with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. So in this passage here before us, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Uh, He's teaching us about our relationship to our heavenly father. In the passage before, he was teaching us about our relationship to our fellow man, how we're not to be hypocritical or judgmental toward them, but we are to love and to show mercy and grace. And here we see our relationship to our heavenly father. Jesus is teaching us that our relationship with our Heavenly Father is is special. (laughs) There's a lot to it. He's a gracious and loving Father who loves His children and loves to lavish them with His love. And so Jesus, in this passage before us, yet again, He focuses on prayer. He circles back to prayer. He's already taught us about prayer many times in the Sermon on the Mount. And here we are again talking about prayer. And we are to keep in mind that in prayer, there are some very gracious and loving and wonderful promises made to us about prayer. So in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the duty of prayer and the rich promises of prayer. The duty of prayer and the rich promises of prayer. And the key to this teaching is learning that prayer to our Heavenly Father, it's it's effective, It means something. God values it. He loves us to come to him in prayer. So what do we learn about prayer in this passage? Three things. I know you're sick of my three-point sermons, but I'm Presbyterian. I can't help it. Three things about prayer. Prayer is commanded. Prayer is answered. And prayer is more. Okay? Prayer is commanded. Prayer is answered. And prayer is more. First thing there is prayer is commanded. Look what Jesus says in verse 7. Ask, seek, knock. These are imperative verbs for you English majors. These are action words. We're, We're called to do these things. We're commanded to do these things in prayer. The emphasis is on prayer being a continuous action, which in turn is a call to continue to seek God in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. We're we're called to do these things. 
There's a, a persistence in prayer that we are to have. We're, we're not to try to wear God down in our prayer life, right? Trying, we're not trying to wear him down into doing our will or uh, talk him into giving us something we want. No, we're to go to our heavenly father who, who loves to do good for his children, who loves to bless his children, who, who loves to hear them in prayer. Jesus has asked over a dozen times just in the the Gospels alone, Jesus tells his disciples to, to ask. Go to your heavenly Father. Ask him. There, again, is a, a persistence in prayer. We're, we're told to ask, and it will be given to us because we do have needs. We do have desires. We, we do have troubles in life. And we're to go to God our Father and ask. Our Savior tells us that we are to Go to God in prayer by asking. We're commanded, we're entreated to ask. Go to the Lord, ask Him. Seek. Proverbs says, I love those who love me, God says, and those who seek me diligently find me. We are to seek the Lord diligently. It's not that we go to God in prayer because we don't know where to turn to God, we don't know where to turn for answers. We do know where to turn for answers. We go to the Lord God in prayer. We, we seek God in prayer because we know that we will find the answers in our seeking from the one who has all the answers, the Lord God Almighty. We may not always know what to pray for, but we seek God in prayer so that we do know what to pray for. And the Bible tells us that we have the Holy Spirit within us to to help us in prayer. Paul wrestles with this himself in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Listen to what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in prayer. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We seek the Lord in prayer. And the Spirit intercedes for us, helps us in our weakness. Knock. We, there's a sense of knocking, going to the Lord. Again, that persistence in prayer. It's very common in our language to refer to doors in our daily life as, as opening and closing, right? We say that all the time. I'm just waiting for the Lord to... Open or or close the door here as I seek his will. And we all know what it means to face closed doors, don't we? (laughs) Lord, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to go this way. How come I cannot? (laughs) We're told to knock. We're told to seek the Lord by knocking. We are to pray that God would open the doors of his will that we may enter. Here we're told to knock, and if the, the door is supposed to be opened... If it's supposed to be open in conformity to the will of God, Jesus says, it will be open to you. God will answer your prayer. Ask, seek, knock. There's a persistence in prayer. We are commanded to prayer. We're to be diligent in prayer. We're to be earnest in prayer. Disciples of Christ are called to be these things in prayer. Prayer cannot be a 
a once-a-week thing or a once-a-year thing. It can't be some lifeline or phone-a-friend thing that we have to go to when we're really in trouble and we're so desperate, I guess I better pray. We can't treat prayer that way. We must go to God constantly in prayer, persistently, earnestly, ask, seek, knock. The old pastor theologian Matthew Henry says, pray. Pray often. Make a business of prayer and be serious and earnest in it. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to make a business of, of prayer to be serious and earnest in it because we are, we are commanded to. That's the first thing. We're com- prayer is commanded But the second thing we see about prayer in this passage is prayer is answered. Each of these commands, each of these imperatives, ask, seek, and knock, is followed by a wonderful promise. For Jesus says, for everyone who asks, they receive. They receive. Interesting that Jesus tells us to ask. He is teaching his followers about the effectiveness of prayer. And what all the benefits are that we find in prayer. Because when we ask, we're asking to a heavenly father who does not ignore us. He listens to his children. For when we ask, it will be given, Jesus says. To the one who seeks, Jesus promises. The one who seeks, finds. We find the goodness from God by seeking him in prayer. Seek God and you will find him. God is not fickle like we are. He doesn't have emotional roller coasters like we do. He doesn't give his children the silent treatment like some of us masterfully do to one another. Those who seek him, find him. Those who knock, the door will be opened Our Heavenly Father lends us His ear. Followers of Christ who are persistent in prayer, who knock, they can be comforted that God the Father will provide whatever is best for them according to His sovereign and gracious will. The late scholar Leon Morris said this, Prayer is infinitely enriching. Prayer is infinitely enriching. It never gets old. It never gets dull. God never gets tired of hearing his children come to him in prayer. Do do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God answers prayer? Some of you are really terrible at communication. Some of you don't know how to return an email, or some of you don't know how to check your text messages or whatever. God is not like that. He is not like that. He always has time. He answers prayer. If you're, if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with understanding how, how God the Father can hear you in prayer, then look to these rock-solid promises from Jesus. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. Prayer is answered. The third thing we learn about prayer here is that prayer is more 
prayer is more. In verses 9 through 11, not only does Jesus teach that we are to be diligent in prayer, and the one who is diligent will have their prayers answered, but he gives a very powerful example to illustrate this promise, to illustrate his teaching here. In in verse 9, Jesus begins what the scholars call an a priori argument. He is arguing from the lesser to the greater. Okay, he's, he's showing if, if this thing is true, how much more true is this thing? And so Jesus uses the human fathers as an example of the lesser. Human fathers are not as great as God, the heavenly father. He is greater. Human fathers are just that. They're human. They're finite. We're weak. We're frail. Our our days are numbered. Even more, human fathers, Jesus says, are sinful and evil. More on that here in a minute. However, even though human fathers are sinful and evil and weak and frail and finite, they do have the capacity within them by the common grace of God that he bestows on all of mankind to to give good gifts to their children. As a rule, more often than not, fathers love and provide for their children. They give good gifts to their children. Fathers don't give their kids stones or snakes. They provide food. They provide sustenance for their children. If an earthly father will do that, an earthly father will provide for their children like that, how much more will our heavenly father? See, the emphasis in this example is on God the Father. God the Father who hears. God the Father who blesses. It's not on the man who asks. It's not on the earthly father. It's on our heavenly father. This illustration of a father on earth compared to our father in heaven is to show us how much more prayer is more. How much more wonderful is God our father to his children, to those who belong to him by faith. And so in this teaching, in this example, Jesus illustrates a couple of more essential biblical lessons about mankind and about God that's in Important for us to see, important for us to study here for a moment. One of those teachings that Jesus gives us here is that all human beings are sinful. All human beings are sinful. Jesus says in verse 11, if you then, talking about disciples, those who are there with him, us, who are evil, Who are evil? Who is evil? Who's he talking about here? You are. I'm sorry to break it to you this morning. (laughs) I'm sorry to give you that bad news. You are evil. Do you believe that? Does it bother you that, that Jesus says that? Because that's not very American, is it? I mean, that's not very sweet and kind. What do you mean you're evil? What does Jesus mean here? It seems odd. It almost seems misplaced for Jesus to make this statement, for him to add this to his illustration. But he, Jesus very deliberately, intentionally 
slips that into the argument. (laughs) He doesn't dwell on it. He states it as a fact. You who are evil, he says, because the evilness of mankind or the sinful nature of mankind, it is assumed. It is a given. We are completely self-centered. We are hardwired by our nature to rebel against God and to do evil. We are sinful by nature. That is what Jesus means, that we are evil. We are sinful. This statement of Jesus is what the theologians call total depravity. Total depravity. Those who don't believe in total depravity don't have children. (laughs) That is my unbiblical opinion. (laughs) This is the doctrine that teaches, total depravity is the doctrine that teaches that unregenerate man, man who is not saved, is an absolute bondage to sin and wholly incapable of exercising his own will freely to trust in Christ. That we are sinful by nature. And the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Every inclination of our hearts is evil. We fall short of the glory of God. And all of our righteousness is tainted by sin. Those are just a few. Just a few of the places in Scripture where God describes our sinful nature. Man is depraved. Man is evil, sinful by nature. Because of the fall into sin. Because of the fall, because of sin, things really are that bad. You really are that bad. But, but, even though we are evil by nature, Jesus says we still have the capacity to tenderly care for our children and to give them good gifts. So even though we need salvation, even though we need a Redeemer, To rescue us from our sinful condition, God still allows all mankind to demonstrate acts of goodness toward their fellow man. Fathers still can care for their children. So even if a sinful earthly father can give good gifts, Jesus says, how much more can a heavenly father who is not evil who is not bad, who knows no sin, who is holy, holy, holy. How much more can our Heavenly Father, who is the Father of all goodness and love, give to His children? We are evil, yes. But God the Father is good. We are sinful. But God is good. That is one of the things Jesus means to teach us here in this illustration. Another thing that I believe Jesus is meaning to teach us here, is this is not the health and wealth gospel. He is not giving us a name it and claim it theology here. There are no promises of God making you rich or giving you a new car in this passage. The promise is that God gives us good gifts. There's no secret formula here that we're supposed to follow to ask for things in such a way that you're just guaranteed to get more stuff if you just ask it in the right way. That's not the teaching here. God gives good gifts. What is he talking about here? These are spiritual gifts. These are heavenly treasures. 
that he was referring to earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. God knows how to give us good gifts. He knows what we most desire and what we most need. But the problem is, for many of us, we oftentimes ask for things that are not necessarily good, as the Bible would define them. We ask for things that don't have lasting value. We ask for earthly treasures rather than heavenly gifts that our Father freely bestows upon us. C.S. Lewis illustrates this principle for us in his work called The Weight of Glory. Listen to what he says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, Lewis says. So how much more, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. So may God strengthen our desires for him. May God strengthen our desires for heavenly gifts. Let us rejoice and be thankful that we serve a God who teaches us not to settle with mud pies, but who offers us much more by giving us the good gifts that we need. Solomon just prayed, Lord, I'm just a child. Give me wisdom and discernment so I can rule righteously over your kingdom that you've given to me. What a, what a humble and, and powerful prayer. But what did God do? He did more. He did more than he could ask or imagine. Let us thank God. Let us thank God that he has given us many good gifts. Think about it. Think about your own life personally. We have far more, many, far more days of health than we do sickness. There are far more days of plenty than want. What about for his church? What about for Cornerstone Presbyterian Church? Has God not given us this place to worship him? Has God not raised up volunteers to build his house has god not give us given us a ministry to steward and to teach the next generation to love him and to love his word has god not given us a kingdom vision that we read here in acts 2 god has given us many good gifts but of all of god's amazing gifts of all of god's amazing blessings to us God the Father has given us one gift that remains supreme. He has given us one thing that we need and, even though we may not know it, desire the most. And that is giving us his one and only Son. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave as a gift his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Though we are evil, I know I hit you with that hammer this morning, you're evil, you're sinful, though that is who we are. Jesus bore the punishment we deserve by dying on the cross for our sin. Our evil, our sin, was nailed to the cross. But remember, remember, brothers and sisters, the gospel, it's more. How much more? Here's another wonderful truth that we don't talk about enough in the church. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Our, our, our sins were nailed to the cross at Calvary and they were forgiven. But we must also remember God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because there's this other wonderful thing that took place. There's this other much more to the gospel. Not only were our sins forgiven, but God the Father then clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. He takes off our filthiness, our sinful nature, and he wraps us in the righteousness of Christ. So that when we stand before God the Father, by his grace, we do not stand there in our sin, in our, in our evil nature. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior, then you stand before God Almighty, the Heavenly Father, as righteous. Because when he looks at you, he does not see you as you are. He sees his Son, whom he loves whom he has given to us as a gift. Friends, I cannot tell you any better news than that. I have nothing else to offer you this morning but that wonderful truth. How much more is the gospel? Let me encourage you to put your hope in the gospel. Whatever your list of priorities is this week, Whatever you came in here this morning and say, I've got to do this, this, and this, or I, I, if I'm going to be successful in life, it's got to have this, this, and this. Let me encourage you to cast all that aside and put all of your energy, put all of your hope, put all of your priorities, all of your life into a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's son, God's good gift to you. And then you will discover you will discover there is so much more. That is who God our Father is. Let's pray. Father, as our brother C.S. Lewis said, we fool around with mud pies. And we think that that is just as good as it gets. But Lord, help us to see there is so much more our Heavenly Father, He gives good gifts, infinite gifts, glorious gifts to His children. And You have given us the ultimate gift of Your Son. And we praise You. We thank You for that.
in his name that we pray. Amen.